Beloved church, it is with sadness, but uh, with sure and certain hope in the resurrection to eternal life that I let you know of the deaths of both Will Thompson and Jan Mendry this week. Uh, as we enter into a time of worship and prepare our hearts for worship, let us be sure to keep the family and friends of Will and Jan in our thoughts and prayers. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome home to Morrisville Presbyterian Church. Whether you are a longtime member or a first-time visitor, whether you are sitting in the pew or sitting on your couch, welcome home. We are glad that you are here. 
As a reminder for those of you who haven't been with us in person yet, um, whenever I will speak, I will remove my mask, as will Pastor Alex and Pastor Rachel. Uh, but as soon as we're done speaking, we'll put them back on. We ask that while you're here at MPC, you wear your mask over both your nose and your, mask, and your mouth. Today we can continue our journey into scripture, exploring the unexpectedness of God. God is always at work in unexpected ways through unexpected people, unexpected circumstances, and often pushing any boundaries of what we might have come to expect in this world. As we continue to journey as God's people through this unexpected season, let us open our hearts more fully to the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Let us worship God. call to worship as it's printed in your bulletin. Whether we embrace God's call in our lives or try to avoid it, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Whether we are long timers or late comers in the life of faith, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Whether our lives in Christ are comfortable or bring hardship, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We praise God's name forever and ever. Friends, God is indeed gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We give thanks to our God, who is a God of compassion, and we remember God's mercy as we admit our imperfections, as we confess our sins using the prayer of confession, as it is printed in the bulletin, followed by a time for silent confession. God of abundant goodness, we confess that we want your grace for ourselves, but we often wish for punishment or exclusion on others. We judge the efforts and motives of others while ignoring the faults of our own. Forgive us, we pray, when we let jealousy overtake us. Forgive us, we pray, when we are petty even in the presence of your generosity. We ask for your mercy once again. Help us to be more merciful toward one another. Friends, God extends to us mercy beyond our deserving and grace beyond our ability to earn it. Let us proclaim this good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen. Friends, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.
Good morning, young friends. Young in age, young in heart, young in spirit. This morning I have a question for you. Do you know what grace is? You see, I grew up in the church. My parent was a pastor, and so grace was one of those words I heard a lot, but I never really knew what it meant. There's a lot of words like that in the church, but today we're going to talk about grace. Grace, simply put, means that we don't get what we deserve. That's the best definition I could come up with it, for it. Grace means we don't get what we deserve. So I invite you to think of a time in your life, maybe it was when you were supposed to follow a rule that you didn't follow, or somebody had an expectation for you that you didn't meet, and you expected a certain response, but you didn't get that response. That's what grace is. God's grace for us, his God's abundant love for us is like that. God loves you and me so much that God sent Jesus Christ for us and so that we get to experience God's grace. Will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Help us to show your grace to others. Amen. Friends, as we continue to try to understand what God's grace is through Scripture and the Word proclaimed, let us prepare our hearts and minds in prayer. Spirit of the living God, Fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Listen for the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owners of the vineyard said to his manager, 
Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My friend Laura is a pastor in a small rural congregation. And as she tells the story, she had had a busy week, and so she didn't spend much time preparing for Sunday school. She knew her congregation pretty well, and so as she walked into Sunday school that week, she decided she was going to have a little fun. She walked in and she said, today we're going to learn about the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and here is a brief synopsis. Jesus tells us the parable is about the kingdom of heaven There's a landowner who hires laborers. He goes out at the beginning of the day, and at 9, and at 12, and at 3, and at 5, and he hires workers at each of those times. And at the end of the day, at 6, they all line up, and he pays them each according to the length of their labor. She heard a fist slam on the table, and she looked up, and she saw Carl. Carl was a farmer in their small rural community, and before Laura could say anything, Carl banged his fist on the table again, and he said, that would have been right. That would have been fair. In the actual parable, they work different times, and they all get paid the same, and it's offensive. What happened to accountability? What happened to justice? We carry around with us notions of what is fair and what is not. Carl does, you do, I do. We carry around notions with us of what is fair and what is not, and this parable offends most of them. 
I've heard many objections. How can those who've worked only an hour be paid the same as those who've labored all day? It's monumentally impractical to operate this way. I had a friend who runs a business say that this is a terrible business practice. If he hired workers in November and paid them the same annual salary he paid his workers that started in January, he wouldn't have any workers from January until November. It doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense that at the end of the day, those who've been working in the vineyard lined up and those who were the last to arrive were at the first of the line and those who were the first to arrive were at the last of the line and they'd worked different amounts of time and they were paid the same wage and those first hour workers standing in the back of the line, they grumble. And we understand. We're not like the landowner. He doesn't make any sense. And I would argue that we're probably not like the people toward the front of the line either. Because if we were, this would be an exciting parable. There would be generosity that was undeserved, and it would be a blessing that we got to go home with more than we expected. No, I think we find ourselves planted somewhere firmly toward the back of the line with the first-hour workers. Perhaps surprised, perhaps even disappointed. Immediately before this parable, Jesus and Peter are talking, and Peter has some questions for Jesus. I call him Relatable Peter because he's asking Jesus, what do I get when I go to heaven? He says, look, Jesus, we've been following you for a long time now. We've been doing the labor. We gave up everything we had to follow you, to be your disciple. What will our daily wage be in heaven? What are we going to get? And Jesus says, you will get a hundredfold and you will inherit life eternal. And then Jesus begins this parable in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, The kingdom is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. This parable is about the kingdom, Jesus says. And in the kingdom, everything is not as we expected. In fact, it's not what we expected at all because we find ourselves standing at the back of the line. From the back of the line, we can see God's goodness and mercy and compassion as it is given to those in front of us. We see this surprising goodness, and like Peter, we wonder, what will we get? After all, we've been laboring for a while— as followers of Christ, we've been discerning as the church. We've been inundated with challenges, calls to take the high road, to engage others through the love of Christ, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly. To do justice in an election year, to love kindness in the middle of a global pandemic, and to walk humbly through whatever is going on in our lives. Perhaps it's exhausting. 
We know that the labor is worth it. We've experienced the love of God. That's why we began the labor in the first place. And we've been laboring, and somewhere along the way, we began to keep score. Not really sure when it happened, but I know that it happened because of this. We didn't have a problem with God's generosity until we received the exact same generosity. We were hoping for more. We deceived ourselves into thinking that we might have earned more. The parable continues, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual wage? We respond, well, yes. Are you envious because I'm generous? Well, yes. You gave those who are in front of me more than they deserve, so I thought you might do the same for me. Our error lays in our objection. We've completely missed that God has done the same for us. From our perspective at the back of the line, we've completely forgotten that none of us deserve God's grace. That's why it's called grace. God's grace isn't up to us. It does not need us. It is not dependent on us. Those can be scary words if we like control. Those can be freeing words in the gospel. God's grace is not up to us. It does not need us, and it does not depend on us. We simply receive it. Professor Tom Long writes about this passage. It's a beautiful piece of writing. He's talking about how this parable is topsy-turvy. That in talking about the kingdom, we get what we don't expect. And that in its topsy-turvy nature, it requires us, it compels us to think differently, to think new thoughts about God. He writes that in the grumbling and objections, we see plainly the true poverty of the first-hour workers. Those at the back of the line... Everybody in the parable is tendered with the wealth of the kingdom. The deep river of providence flows through everybody's life. God gives everyone a daily wage so extravagant that no one could ever spend it all. A deluge of grace descends on all. Torrents of joy and blessing fall everywhere. And there these first-hour workers stand. Absolutely drenched in God's mercy an ocean of peace running down their faces, clutching their little contracts, and whining that they deserve more rain. The offense of grace is not in the treatment we receive. The offense of grace is not in the treatment we receive, but in the observation that others are getting more than they deserve. The parable asks us to shift our focus from those in front of us to the gift of God's grace. Pastor, theologian, Craig Barnes, 
He also happens to be the president of where I go to seminary. He's written many books. In his book, When God Interrupts, he writes a section on the end about the doxology. We don't get to sing the doxology right now, but you know it. We often sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And Dr. Barnes writes this. Do we really believe that all blessings flow from God? As the ushers hold the offerings of the people before God, someone in the congregation has to be thinking, praise God. I have worked myself into a frazzle for this money that I'm giving to the church. But if we think the money we put in the plate is ours to give, we have missed the point. All of life comes as a blessing from God, and either we believe that life is something to be achieved, or we, we believe that life is something to be received. Once we start seeing this choice in the Bible, we find it on almost every page. Is God the creator, or are we? Is Jesus the Savior, or are we? Does the Holy Spirit give wisdom, or are we smart enough on our own? And I think if I understand the text, that's the heart of the parable. Standing at the back of the line, looking at those who are in front of us, we allow comparison to shrivel our joy and gratitude that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Do we believe life is something to be achieved, or is it something that can only be received? Will we continue to cling to our self-assigned worth, or will we allow God's grace to wash over us like the rain? And will we come to realize that perhaps it doesn't even matter where we're standing in the line? Because the good news of the parable is that in the kingdom, there is no scarcity of grace. The tension that we feel when we hear the text, the tension that exists between fairness and generosity, in the kingdom, God is able to hold that tension. And so perhaps, if at the end of the day we find ourselves at the back of the line, we might even find ourselves grateful when we realize that we are just as undeserving as the person in front of us and the person behind us and the person beside us, that we are just as undeserving of God's grace, and yet we receive it still. Perhaps at the end of the day, if we're standing at the back of the line, we might even find ourselves grateful because from the back of the line, we are able to bear witness to God's goodness and graciousness and generosity to others and to ourselves. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
My friends, today, in response to God's grace, we take some time set apart to dedicate our annual financial commitments to God. We do so with gladness and with joy, giving of ourselves in thanksgiving for all that God has given us in our life together. We do so mindful that everything good we have in this life is a gift that has been entrusted to our care. And we do so knowing that what we do with the gifts we have matters very deeply to God. These estimate of giving cards, these gifts which we return to God, these are more than a way to show our support for the church and its programs. These are an opportunity to take Jesus up on his invitation to hold it all more loosely, to give generously to the God who has given so generously to us. These are also a way that we communicate the kind of world we want, the kind of world we want to create and to build and be a part of these gifts, these commitments. Remind us that as the church, we will have the opportunity to speak into the darkness and hatefulness of this world and bring forth light that darkness can never overcome and love that even death cannot conquer. These gifts remind us that as we loosen our grip on the things of this world, we are being molded and shaped ever more beautifully for service in God's kingdom. If you have not yet returned your card and would like to, they will be available after church from your pastoral staff. You may contact the church office to receive one, or they can be accessed on our website at mpcusa.org. So friends, let us dedicate to God the gifts of our lives, but the gifts that are God's, praying that they might be used to bring light and love more fully into this world. I invite you to join me in our prayer of dedication as it's printed in your bulletin. Gracious and loving God, with joyful and thankful hearts, we dedicate our annual commitments to you. May these gifts become tangible reminders of your blessings. May these annual commitments be used in service of your kingdom that we might be a blessing as a community of faith. May they be the first fruits of all that we have and not what we have left over, so that we may live out as closely as possible how you give to us. May our eyes, our minds, and our hearts be opened this year. May we be surprised in our lives, in our church, and in our ministry together. We dedicate our lives to you, O God. May we be a blessing to others as we live out your call. We pray that we will be good stewards of all that you have given to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
and take some time to reflect on the words of the hymn printed in your bulletin as a response to the word read and proclaimed today. Because we cannot yet safely sing together, and because we are a congregation both here and in our own homes, this is an opportunity for us to be connected by God's presence in this place and in all the places where we are worshiping today. So for the next few minutes, let us open our hearts and our minds to the gifts of God's presence. My friends, let us pray. Creator God, we give you thanks for the blessings of this life. 
as numerous as they are. For the gift it is to feel the fall cool breeze, for the gift it is to hear children playing, for the gift it is to know a grace that is beyond our understanding. What a gift it is, O God, to know a grace that is not up to us, a grace that does not need us, a grace that does not depend on us. What a gift, O God, your grace is. May we be a people with hearts open to receive that grace when it comes knocking, mindful of the generosity that you pour upon us, that we might be generous with others. Merciful God, we come to you on behalf of all that feels broken in the world right now. Hear our prayers for the brokenness in our world, our country, for violence that pervades, for vitriol that separates family members from one another, for hateful rhetoric that tears us apart from those we are called to love for fires that blaze with no concern for the livelihood or lives that they destroy, for broken systems, all in need of your grace, your justice, your compassion more than ever. Hear our prayers, O God, that we lift in the quiet of our hearts on behalf of the brokenness. Hear our prayers, O God, for the brokenness we know and feel in body. Whether through disease or cancer or mental illness, O God, hear our prayers for those who need your healing more than ever. As case numbers rise in our country and around the world, hear our prayers for physicians and nurses, for health care aides and caregivers who face this brokenness every single day. Hear our prayers in the quiet of hearts, O God, on behalf of the brokenness. Hear our prayers, O God, for the brokenness we know all too well in souls, in our hearts. Whether they are wrecked with loneliness or depression, heartbreak or grief, or with sighs too deep for any words. We pray especially this day for the family and friends of Will Thompson and Jan Mendry. Bring your Holy Spirit, O God. Bring your presence. Surround those we love and those we are called to love with your peace, your comfort, and an assurance of your presence. Hear our prayers on behalf of all that feels broken.
hear all other prayers that linger in our hearts. Whether prayers of praise and joy or lament and longing, what a gift it is to know that you hear them all. Precious Lord, in the ways that we need it, take our hand and remind us to take the hand of others. And hear us as we join our voices as one, reminded that Jesus was broken on our behalf. Hear us as we pray the prayer he taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved of God, you are beloved. Take comfort in the mercy which surprises you and rest in the assurance that God's goodness and graciousness is abundant. And as we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, be with those you love, be with those you are called to love, this day and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>